Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is, well you know, is to work through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So welcome to the journey. And we're well on our way into season three, which is Matthew. Now if you're here for the first time, maybe consider dropping right back to the beginning and playing catch up for a while. And then join us on this amazing five or so year plan to work through the whole Bible. Also, if you knew, it's worth mentioning that there's always a full transcript of everything I say available in the episode notes. So wherever you happen to get your podcasts from, just look at the episode notes and you'll find a link to this transcript, as well as links to other ways where you can connect to my ministry and the other teaching resources I make available. But that's it for now. So you're very welcome. And I'll see you back at the end just to update you and say bye-bye. So bye-bye for now. So we're looking together and trying to find out how it is we might be blessed by God. So what I'm going to do is we're going to look at the various attributes talked about here by Jesus because it seems reasonable to me if we to try and develop these attributes then it is reasonable to say we may very well be blessed in the way that's described in the passage in the words that Jesus speak. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each attribute and I'll try and explain what they are and attempt to explain what the potential blessings that might come from developing those attributes or responding to these situations in the way Jesus suggests. So let's look at the first of these, which is in Matthew 5 verse 3, where we are told, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this, on first hearing, might seem counterintuitive. I mean, we think we're more likely to be blessed by being spiritually rich, wouldn't we? And now Jesus comes along and actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now this is not primarily a discourse on poverty, and the phrase that follows amplifies and clarifies exactly the type of poverty that this phrase is referring to. So it's actually, clearly it's referring to a spiritual transaction, a poverty of spirit, so to speak. So the key word here is poor. What does it mean in the context of being poor in spirit? Now, as a matter of fact, there are two different Greek words that can be translated as poor. One is used of someone who's in a poor financial situation. Now, it's a word that doesn't mean that you're saying someone's destitute, but it's someone who has only just enough money to eke out a basic existence because of their poor economical condition. The jam generation, it was called a couple of years ago in the UK. In other words, those people who are just about managing. But there's a second word that is used sometimes in the Greek text, which actually means to be completely destitute, to have no resources of your hope. And it's interesting that that is the word that Jesus uses here. And he's applying that to a spiritual context. So this is about the sort of person who spiritually comes before God with no resources of their own. Now, many of the commentators explain this by saying that this is about coming before God with complete dependence upon God. You come on your own, desperate, dependent upon the Lord, with no spiritual resources of your own. 
you are so poverty stricken in spirit that you are in a position where you can only rely on God. I think one of the very best illustrations of this is found for us in Paul talking about his own circumstances in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There Paul talks about having a thorn in his flesh, which was probably some sort of chronic physical infirmity, and he asked God to remove it. And God said to him, No, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's response to this was, Well, if that's the case, Lord, then you're going to have to give me the power and grace to endure it. Then I will glory in my weakness, because I know that when I am weak, I am strong, and I am strong because you are strong. And I think that's a perfect illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. You're bigger spiritually when your back's to the wall and you've got nothing of your own resources left. You can then, perhaps only then, come recognizing your true spiritual poverty and your lack of any possibility of self-help. Only then can you become utterly dependent on the Lord. And then that means you are the person that God can bless. God can bless the person that is totally dependent on him. But what's the blessing that you will actually get? What is he telling us we'll get when we reach that state? Well, look again at the second half of the verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what we gain is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've been following me as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, you know I've suggested that the kingdom of heaven is a reference to the kingdom Jesus will set up when he comes back again. And that should be your sort of default, your first point of call when coming to interpret any time this phrase is used. And indeed here, experts believe that this is indeed talking about the messianic kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on earth. So if you're poor in spirit, you're going to be part of the people who inherit that kingdom after the second coming. But some say, but it says the kingdom is yours, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a sense, there's a present tense in that. Is it suggesting that the kingdom is now rather than later, or is it really the sense that it is the kingdom now and the one that comes later? One of the really great Greek experts that I read on this, a man called William Barclay, said that we shouldn't press the present tense too far in verse 3. Because all the other Beatitudes, all these other verses and blessings that follow one after the other, are all in the future tense. Now I know this might sound a bit strange to us, but in Greek the present tense can be a reference to the future as well. So this is in the now, but only in so far as this blessing will enable you to be pulled through your current trial, your current difficulties, but it will be yours eternally and completely in the future. So what he means here is yours is the kingdom of heaven, not just for today to help you and to resource you, but to what you will gain when the kingdom of heaven comes and we all gain our reward. So if we are poor in spirit, then we are able to be fully dependent on the Lord and then we can gain the greatest reward of all, which is our place in heaven. And that is the, I believe, is the deep being made in this verse. Now keep in mind that at that time, the Pharisees, 
They were the ones who thought that you got blessed by God and you gained all these things if you were simply a descendant of Abraham and kept the law. They believed that it was their righteousness that earned them this inheritance simply by their adherence to a strict interpretation of the religious law, the Mosaic law. In other words, their view of righteousness was completely external. But here Jesus comes along and he puts his finger right on the heart of the matter. It's about your attitude of heart, he says. It's not external, it's internal. Are you poor in spirit? Do you find yourself in a place when you're totally reliant on God? Then that is the kind of righteousness that God is looking for. That is the kind of person that God wants to use. And that is the kind of person that God believes in and will use. There is a story of the famous artist Paul Cezanne who one day saw a beggar in the street and he said, oh, that's perfect. He'll make a great central character for my next street scenes, the pictures that he was particularly famous for. So he invited the man to come to his studio and he promised him he would pay him if he came the next day. When the appointed time came, the beggar did indeed walk into his studio, but he cleaned himself up for his appointment. He had shaved and he was wearing better clothes and the artist said, I'm sorry, I can't use you like that. And for us, true, there's a sense that the attribute we need to be taken on in order to be blessed is not an outward appearance of religion, but an inward dependence on the Lord. But there's a second blessing and the next verse, and it's found in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, does this mean that sadness can produce gladness? That seems a bit backward to me. Does that mean our grief can end up being joy? Well, let me suggest that Jesus is talking much more about much more than just mourning or grieving the death of the loved one. So the question is, what is it we are grieving? What grieving what? What is being talked about here? Anytime we lose something, there's grief. Sometimes even a change, dramatic change of circumstances means we lose in a sense of who we are and that can cause a, a sort of a grief of spirit. So what is it that we should mourn over? What's Jesus talking about here? Well, let me make a few suggestions because I think there are several different things that the New Testament talks about mourning. And one of the primary ones, of course, is the mourning of a loved one, but also probably second to that is one where he says we should be mourning over our own sin. In James chapter 4, it says, let your laughter be turned to mourning, which is, the, which is it the other way. And in the context that James was writing, he's talking about the fact that the people he was writing to were pushing God out of their lives. They were becoming self-sufficient, independent. And he says, you may think you're having a good time at the minute, but you ought to be mourning and your laughter will soon turn to mourning. So there is a sense in which the mourning that he's talking about here, which Jesus is talking about here, is the one that comes from the self-realization over your own shortcomings, your own sins. Think about the story of Peter when he denied the Lord, just as Jesus prophesied he would. And after the third time he denied the Lord, the scriptures note in the Gospel of Luke that he went out and he wept. He was mourning over his own failure. Let me suggest that as well as grieving our own shortcomings, 
which is central because that's a starting point of recognizing all the other things we need to grieve, we also, in a sense, ought to mourn over the sins of other people. This is not about judging people. It's about mourning the sins in the lives of other people. I once came across a situation at a minister's meeting where a pastor shared that he had just taken over a church and he shared the fact that there was a man in the church, the church he was newly pastoring and he was having with an affair. And I know this sounds gross, but he was sleeping with his own stepmother. And the church knew about it. It was public knowledge within that church family, but they didn't do anything about it. And he felt it had fallen on him to be the ones to challenge the situation. And he and we were grieved at the state of that church. And we prayed deeply for him and for that church. You see, Paul, in his pastoral letters, very clearly tells us that we too ought to mourn about such things. When somebody sins, it should not be about anger or judgment. It should be grief. I think I could go on talking about this concept of Christian grieving. But there's one more final thing. I think there is, in a general sense, we ought to widen this out and grieve for the state and the suffering of the world. In Nehemiah, we were told that Hanaiah, Nehemiah's brothers, came back from Jerusalem and reported to Nehemiah what was going on back in Jerusalem. The people, he said, were being reprimanded by God and the walls of the city were broken down. Now, if you read that chapter, you discover that the first thing Nehemiah does is immediately he mourns in the face of the suffering of Jerusalem. He is grieved by it. He mourns and he prays. So we too, when we see the catastrophic state of the world, we should be praying about it. We should be mourning about it. I think there's a sense, and when it really comes down towards getting ourselves to a place where we're really tender-hearted. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, or clamour, or evil speaking be put away with all malice, and instead be tender-hearted. We need to get to a place where our sins, the sins of those around us, the sins of the world, where we get to a place where we're so tender-hearted that when we're confronted with them, we literally weep for those who are in that situation. We mourn. Because if we weep for those who are weeping, we are then grieving for those who mourn. And friends, if you don't know how to grieve and mourn, you'll never really know how to help, how to weep alongside those who weep, how to weep for those who should be weeping. And it all begins with, I believe, getting to a place where you mourn and grieve for your own shortcomings. Because then, and only then, will you know how to grieve for other people's sin, as well as other people's sufferings. So what's the blessing that comes from this? Well, let's look at the second half of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this tells us that if you mourn, God is going to comfort you. You notice that this is in the future tense, and I think the primary meaning here is that God will comfort you, not just in the immediate, in the future, as you move through the challenges of life, but that he will be comforting you in the fullness of time 
in the completion of all things. And this fits in with what the book of Revelation tells us. With the summation of all things, it says, at the end of all, he will wipe away all tears. But I think also that the truth throughout scripture is that God will also bless and comfort people today. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says, He is the God of all comfort. So God comforts us most when we know that we are forgiven. Remember I said we should mourn for our own sin. Well, God forgives us at that sin. And then, of course, when we know we are forgiven, we can be truly comforted grief that the sin has caused us. So we're ultimately comforted by knowing we're forgiven. And we're also comforted when we seek God's answer in prayer for our own behalf, but also on behalf of other people. If we moan their suffering, then we are comforted that when we pray for them in the knowledge that they too can be forgiven, and if they do return to the Lord in grief and repentance, then we can see how they too can be comforted. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul wrote to a group of people who were experiencing great grief because a number of significant people among that small group had died. And Paul opens this passage by saying, Remember this, we don't sorrow like others do who have no hope, and reminding them to comfort one another with these words. So these words are, of course, about the Lord's return and the fact that for all believers there will be a great reunion and the Lord will return. Understanding that gives us the ability to see things from an eternal perspective, which must really, if we take that on board, bring us great comfort in the present, here today. So there's comfort when we see other people experience comfort and we can be comforted in that as well. The psalmist said in Psalm 30, You have turned me from mourning into dancing, and you have put off sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And of course, ultimately, the Lord will comfort us in his kingdom. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament book of Isaiah talks about the fact that the Messiah returns and will establish his kingdom on earth. And in that, the Lord is actually called the Comforter. That's a name given to him. So to put this all very simply, God blesses those who spiritually mourn, who get to a point where they can grieve their own sin, the sin of those around them, and the sin of the world. And he comforts us not only in the now, but he comforts us in the future. Notice it does not say God blesses those who moan, it says God blesses those who mourn. So just a caveat to all this, When you see these things, when you're facing these things, don't gripe and complain and moan, because by doing so you are in fact just questioning God's wisdom. Be careful not to moan over your circumstances when you should be mourning over your circumstances. Years ago there was a famous bishop in England called Latimer. One day his landlord told him that, you know what, I've never experienced any sorrow or heartache in my life, he said. And Latimer said to him, Then, my friend, God cannot be here. God cannot be with you. Now, that may be a bit overstated, but it's definitely true. And the other flip side of the coin of that statement is definitely true. You need to mourn the effects of sin in this world and in your life so that you can experience God's comfort. 
As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, you need to be comforted so that you can comfort others. You want to be blessed by God? All you need to do is look suffering straight in the face and take it to the Lord in dependence on him and look your own sin straight in the face and mourn and grieve it and allow God to comfort you but in the knowledge that you were forgiven. Because then, because he comforts you, then you will be able to know how to bring that same comfort to others. Now there's plenty more blessings to come on this, line by line, but we'll consider the next one next time. Bye for now. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really appreciative of each and every one of you who has decided to go on this journey with me through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And if you'd like to make the study of God's Word part of the rhythm of your daily life, my strong recommendation is, no matter where you're receiving your podcast from, Just find the subscribe button and click it and then you'll make sure you never miss another episode as they're released day by day. And remember within the episode notes there are lots of links to other ways that you connect to my ministry and the additional resources I'm putting out there. This is my main ministry but there are other talks, teachings and even discipleship courses I'm making available all the time on places like my YouTube channel, Facebook page, Patreon page, and other places. And there's links to those there always within the episode notes. And as this project progresses and we get into further and further books, and there's more of a back catalogue of material, then the place where you can go and maybe, rather than having to scroll back through hundreds of episodes to find something you're looking for, I'm creating... Uh, video versions using the podcast audios, the soundtrack with the scriptures and putting them into playlists by book category. So as we progress further into this project, it's probably if you're looking for something in a back catalogue, it might be easy to access it through my YouTube channel. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it is for me. Whatever day it is for you, you open your phone or your tablet or you put those earbuds in your ears as we work together through the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.